Go ahead and turn over to Galatians chapter 6. I thought about different titles for this uh, sermon. I thought of a real popular one. How about this? Choose your children's future. I thought parents would love that. You know, what's he going to say? And then I realized, well, that can't be done. Uh, we could talk about choose your neighbor's future. No, they ain't going to have to make their own decision. But, you know, the one that's relevant is choose your future. Because your future is the only one that you really have a direct ability to change. Yeah, we learn quickly in any kind of relationship, you can have influence on somebody else, but at the end of the day, you can really only change yourself. You have power to make decisions that change your life. And sometimes you hope there's overflow into other people's lives around you, but from a direct point of view, it's your life. In Galatians chapter 6, the Bible says there's a very clear principle at work in life. It says this in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from that Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. This is just one of those matter-of-fact, etched-in-stone principles. You know, growing up, it would have been good for me to really believe this truth. Maybe I'd read the passage, but I didn't connect with it. I didn't lock into it. And so I would find myself sometimes like stuck in the mud on top of a hill in a storm saying, how did I get here? You know, and there'd be many logical, objective people that would say, well, it's because you've made this bad decision and this bad decision and this really dumb decision. And that is why you have the life that you do right now. You know, but sometimes we actually think we will be the exception. I can make bad decisions, but I still will have a good life. My spiritual life will fall into place, and the daily decision-making doesn't really matter. That's why the Bible says, do not be deceived. Because it's so easy to get fooled. God says, no, this is a rock-solid principle that you can stand on. It will be true. Now, keep in mind, this does not mean if you make good decisions that only happiness and prosperity will come your way. That is not what this verse means. It's in a spiritual concept or context. So don't take it out and think, oh, if I do what God wants, I'm going to be healthy and wealthy. No, that's a popular gospel. A lot of big churches teach that. But it's not the truth of, of the Word of God. It says God will not be mocked. It says right here, right now, you can decide to make good spiritual decisions. And God will not be mocked. So that means good spiritual things will be in your future. 
You know, wouldn't that be awesome if investing was that way? You know, the Dow lately has been, you know, the Dow Jones, if you're not into investing, you don't know what that is, but it's, anyway, stocks. You know, the stock market used to be kind of scientific. Now it feels just a pure emotional roller coaster ride. And there's days where it's going up a lot, and you're like, why? And then there's days that it's, you know, right when you get convinced, okay, the economy is better, then it starts tanking, and you're like, why? And investing is just not an exact science anymore. And we wish it was. We wish if you just made, you know, good scientific decisions, you would, you know, reap a lot. Doesn't work that way. But the spiritual realm works differently, and we are thankful for that. And so the good news is decisions you make in your life, you can determine spiritually what your future is going to look like. And that's good news. Say, why? Because every day, you and I are confronted with choices. Every day, you and I come to a fork in the road where we must choose one way or another or maybe the next, and we have a lifetime of reaping that will happen because of the decision that we sowed at that moment in time. You say, well, what are we talking about? Well, let's, let's look at a few examples. Go over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, known as the great roll call of faith, and it's just a long list of great faithful men and women and decisions they made. And I just want to highlight Moses here for a moment. In chapter 11, uh, verse 24 to 26, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. You got to let that one sink in. You go, you know, how old was he? Well, it says when he had grown up. We don't know the exact age. Around 40 was when he uh, fleed for his life after uh, killing the Egyptian. But it says when he had grown up. Say, so what's the point? When he had matured in his thinking, he reasoned this through. Okay, I can have the treasures of Egypt now and forfeit lifelong treasures or I can say no to current treasures, choose mistreatment to have the eternal blessings. What's more worthwhile? I'm going to take the long-term, eternal, good life. You know, it takes tremendous self-discipline, self-denial, maturity in thinking to choose delayed gratification. We're faced with that kind of decision all the time. I want to buy something. But I can't afford it. You kind of have two choices. Well, you can save and buy it when you can. Or just put it on the credit card and I'll, I'll pay for it later. Yeah, you'll pay for it later. 
You know, garage sales, we're, we're having garage sales. We had them for special missions. We're having garage sales for, you know, youth camp, teen camp. How many things have you sold in a garage sale that you are bound and determined, I have got to have this because this is going to make me happy? And then you sell it for a dollar and you're fired up about getting a dollar. You know, you just add up what you paid. And you think, if I just didn't buy that stuff, I could give that money to the youth camp bus fund, and we might be able to fund the bus for like three years just off you. But instead, I'm selling all my stuff, and I'm going to contribute 50 bucks instead of three grand worth of stuff. You know, life's just kind of that way. Delayed gratification requires incredible discipline to achieve. And Moses reasoned it through. You know, it's, sometimes it's the hard road. It's the road of mistreatment. It's the road of suffering that leads to eternal life. Versus pleasure now. You know, Jesus said we must deny ourselves and take up our cross if we're going to follow him. You know, that doesn't fit in with the theology of our culture because the Christianity of our culture says you can have it all. You can have Jesus and still not have to deny yourself at all. All you have to do is go, just go to church on Sunday and you can live the rest of the week the way you want. You can pursue whatever you want. You can have it all. You know, that's popular. You know, Satan is an excellent teacher. All Satan wants is to keep you from sharing in the eternal life. That's all he wants. He doesn't care if you're worth millions. If it will keep you out of heaven, he'll give you 10 million. You know, sometimes it's not the choice of suffering or hardship that can get us, but it's actually, you know, the flip side. It's the time of plenty. Go over to Matthew 26. You know, it's near the end here. Jesus is about to uh, be arrested and be crucified. And in Matthew 26, it says, starting in verse 6, While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured the perfume on my body, she did this to prepare me for burial. 
I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out from 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Isn't it interesting how Matthew records both of these things back to back? We know from one of the other accounts that this jar of perfume was worth about a year's wages. So what you have here is you got a woman giving to Jesus something worth a year's wages, and then right after that, one of his 12 followers going to the chief priest saying, hey, what will you give me if I sell him out? You say, what a difference in heart. Right there, back to back. You have one that's giving and sacrifice massive amounts. I mean, I want you to think about that. A year's wages. What would that mean for you? A year of your salary. That's a big number. No, even if you're in college. It's a small number, but it's big. And then you got one of the 12 who'd seen it all, who'd seen the miracles, seen Lazarus raised from the dead, seen the feeding of the 5,000, had seen Jesus and Peter walk on water, seen the water change to wine. He knew better. And yet, what's his heart? Hey, what will you give me if I sell out the Lord? You know, in a group this size, I know right now there's people in this room at, sitting at the bargaining table with Satan. And they're asking the same question. What will you give me to sell out the Lord? What price? What can I get? Say, Judas just saw a woman give away one year's wages. Just to say, Jesus, I love you. You're awesome. And he turns around and says, 30 silver coins? That's enough for me. I mean, I don't know how you feel when you read this story. I don't know of any way to read this story and think, good choice, Judas. Man, that was a good investment. Okay, give up Jesus, 30 silver coins. Good choice. You know, would it have mattered what the chief priest said? Would it have mattered if they said, we'll give you a year's wages? Would that have mattered? Is there a price? Is there an amount where you and I could have read it and said, okay, now I relate. That makes sense. You know, there's some of us that are contemplating a relationship, a lifestyle choice, sinful pleasures, walking away from our commitment. And we're asking, what will you give me if I walk away? I mean, Jesus is great and everything. 
I mean, you know, Judas would have to say that, right? He's one of the 12. He knew he was Lord. I have faith. He's the one. But right now, you know, I just kind of would rather have 30 pieces of silver. You know, maybe he thought, you know, I'll get my 30 pieces, and I know that's not a good decision, but I'll come back to him later. You see, God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You say, well, I, I would never, you know, be that bold about it. I wouldn't just say it. Are you entertaining it? Is there anything right now Satan can offer you to stop Jesus from being Lord of your life? If there is, you're on dangerous ground. Because if you have a price, he will pay it every time. Every time. Jesus is worth it. You go, well, it doesn't feel that way right now. You know, that's why we started with Moses. Sometimes mistreatment here and now, the hardship and the suffering and the sacrifice, it just doesn't feel worth it. But one second in heaven, and we'll go, so glad. It's worth it. And I think we have such a hard time grasping eternity. You know, like when you're a little kid and you're like, whoa. You know, I love you more, you know, I love you, you know, I love you plus one, I love you, and then I love you infinity, well, I love you infinity plus one. We're trying to figure this whole eternity thing out, we're trying to grasp it, but we don't. And the younger we are, the harder it is, because we feel like I've got so much life on this planet ahead of me. Eternity with God is worth any sacrifice. Now that's why you can read in Hebrews 11, it says they were tortured and they refused to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. Man, that's a hard one to relate to. Yeah, we're going to torture you. Fine, bring it on. It's going to make my resurrection better. I think I'd be saying, God, just help me keep the faith through the torturing. I don't know if I'd say, is that all you got? You know, when you're locked in on what the resurrection means for the faithful disciples, you go, yeah, okay, I can endure this. I can choose mistreatment for a short time. Yes, I can. I can deny myself. Yes, I can. I can get through this with God. It's worth it. Because I want to choose my future. There is a lifetime of consequences, an eternal lifetime of consequences that are a result with the decisions that we make. You know, I'm proud of Ashley Beach. She just got baptized, one of our awesome teen disciples. And you, you, know, you know, one of the things I'm proud about Ashley is she's a giver. You know, would you say that that characterizes teens in our society? They're givers. 
and campus, sorry. I mean, you know, do they walk around and they go, I just want to know, how can I give? That's not what you think of a typical 19, 20, 21-year-old. It's like, hey, gimme, 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 gimme at a young age. No, I want to be a giver. It's why our life makes impact. It's why she said, Jesus is Lord at a young age, because she figured this truth out early. Satan talking to you this morning? What's he saying? What's he offering? What's the deal that's in the making? You know, if you're there in your heart right now, walk away. Say, no, Satan, it's not worth it. There is no answer. There's no 30 pieces of silver. Even if it's one year's wages, it's not worth it. There's nothing we can read that is going to make us look at Judas and go, good choice. And there's nothing in our life that would be worth our salvation Let's look at another example. Let's go to 2 Kings 13. It's another passage I relate to. I remember growing up as a kid, going to church, you know, being spiritually minded at various points, and, and sometimes even reaching points of absolute desperation. You know, kind of that, that moment on the hill that Tom was talking about where you go, you know, my life stinks. How did I get here? You know, Israel was in that moment. They were surrounded by the enemy. They didn't know what to do. And the king comes to Elisha the prophet. I'm going to pick it up in verse 14. It says, Now Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him. And wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands. He said to the king of Israel, when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said. And he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said. And he shot the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. And you go, that's amazing. Here's the king, and he's desperate because the guy that he relies on, Elisha, the prophet, the man of God, is going to die. He's at the end of his life, and, and they got an enemy on the doorstep, and they're like, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, shoot out the east window, and he does, and he's like, you're going to be victorious at Aphek. You go, problem solved, right? No, the story's not over. He said, then take the arrows. The king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will... Feed it only three times. 
you know what, I can relate to the king. You know, this is one of those times where it's not good to be able to relate, but I know I can relate to the king. It's a moment of desperation. The enemy is on the doorstep. The strength and security seem to be fading, and they give you a way out, and you got hope. And you get that initial victory, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. And then he says, now take it to the next level. And the king was half-hearted. You know, Elisha didn't tell him, strike the ground five or six times. He just said, strike the ground. He said, well, he didn't strike it once. I mean, give the guy a break. He struck it three times. You know, this is one of those amazing passages that you got to let sink in. God judged a nation because the king was apathetic. How'd you like to be the king after battle number three? Man, we won three times. That's awesome. But we lost the fourth battle. And we lost the fifth. Why? How'd you like to be the king? I was half-hearted. I was tired. I mean, I struck it three times. It's like, give me a break. You're a mean God. I mean, I didn't just ignore it. At least I did something. No. Families died on the battlefield. Why? Because the king was half-hearted. You know, a few verses before, what, what did we read? My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Wasn't he desperate then? Wasn't he passionate? Wasn't he fired up? But as soon as he got the first victory, what happened? He laid off. You know, sometimes we look at God as a spiritual Tylenol. We get a bad enough, you know, brain cramp in our spiritual life, and we reach out for God. See, this is the part that I relate to. And you're passionate, and you go after it. And then as soon as the pressure's off, you stop doing what you were doing to get the pressure off. You know, sometimes we can go so far as thinking, well, I mean, God ought to be fired up that I'm actually here. He ought to thank me. You know, maybe we're on our hill, stuck in the mud and the heavens open instead of impending judgment. We think we're probably going to hear the voice like, well done. Good and half-hearted servant. <laughs> Half a heart is way more than no heart. I'm proud of you for your lukewarmness. Yeah, you know, we laugh, but sometimes that's exactly what we think. Is there any any part of our life where we're lukewarm right now? Apathetic. How about your personal relationship with God? 
Is it enjoyable? Is it long? Don't fool yourself. I love my time with God. It's awesome. All like two minutes of it. It's amazing. Would you ever say, I had an awesome date this weekend. It was two minutes long. Like, no, that didn't go together. If it was awesome, you'd want to spend more time. How about your commitment to God and his church? The church life is where Christianity is lived out. It is the body of Christ. He is the head. You cannot say, yes, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to have anything to do with church. I want to come when I want to come. On my terms. No, that is not biblical Christianity. When the body of Christ meets, we're there. We're called to seek first the kingdom. Not somewhere in our busy schedule, carve out a convenient moment now and then. No, that is not what we are challenged to do as men and women of God. See, God will hold us accountable for our apathy. You know, I tell parents this. Your kids are watching you. They watch the sermon of our life. They hear the conversations in the car on the way to church. They hear the conversations at home. They watch how we live. They watch our values. They watch what the real important things in our life are. And it's not the theoretical word of God. It's what your life teaches is most important. And sometimes we wonder what's happening. Say, no, we've done a good job teaching. They're good imitators. They learn our values. You know, it takes commitment to live the Christian life. Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. You see, the problem with apathy is we don't want to carry any yoke, any burden. And we say, I'm tired. But what Jesus says is, oh, you're going to carry one one way or the other. Now, you got only two choices of what you're going to carry. You can carry my yoke, my commitment, seeking first me and me being Lord of your life. And if you do that, you get to carry the light load. But the only other choice is the heavy one that the world puts on you. And the farther we get from the yoke of Jesus, the heavier are the load that we carry. It works the exact opposite. And see, apathy says, I'm tired. I don't want to carry anything. I don't want any more commitment. But what Jesus says the truth really is, is you're going, I'm tired. Put more on me which is just going to make you more tired, more discouraged. It's the exact opposite of what we should do. 
God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You know, right here, right now, you can choose your future. It's a promise. God will not be mocked. Don't be deceived. You make good spiritual choices, good spiritual results. But there won't be any exceptions. Apathy, lack of commitment, day after day, we will reap what we sow. You know, the interesting thing, and, and they use sowing and reaping. Way back then, everyone understood uh, agriculture and how, how it worked. I think, uh, you know, our culture doesn't necessarily connect with the agriculture mindset now. It's like a farmer plants. Months later, you harvest. You see, one, one of the scariest things is the fact that we can make bad decisions and in the short term, reap good things. And actually believe, see, it didn't come true. The Bible says that bad things would happen and nothing did. No, that's because the reaping is not an immediate concept. It's days, weeks, months, and years of patterns of decision-making that leads to the reaping. And so if you've got bad decisions going on in your life right now, the good news is that we have the opportunity to repent. But Paul tells us, don't be deceived. Just because you haven't reaped what the Bible says you're going to yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It's just a matter of time. The fact that we have the ability to make decisions now that lead to a guaranteed outcome is an amazing promise of God. It means no good work, no good effort, no investment in your spiritual life will ever be wasted, even though it may feel that way in the moment. We're looking ahead. God says you can take this to the bank. I will not be mocked. This will be a truth in every man and woman's life. And that ought to bring us encouragement. Now, you got to make a choice. There's no middle ground. you got to carry a yoke. It's either the light one that Jesus offers, or it's the heavy one that you have to carry if you say no. If you've ever been hiking, you appreciate the value of a light backpack. makes the hike way more enjoyable. Same thing true in our spiritual life. And I pray for each one of us this morning. I don't know where you're at. God does. I don't know if you're at the bargaining table with Satan right now. I don't know what's in front of you. But I do know that God says you can choose your future. And that's good news. Say, will you commit to making those changes? You know, for some of us, it's going to start with make a decision to study the Bible and put it into practice. Learn what it says. 
This is the will of God. So we need to learn it. We need to give it an opportunity to change our life. Maybe we're studying the Bible. And 99% of it we're doing pretty good with. But there's that 1%. And we all have the 1%. And that's the hardest 1%. Because that's where our lordship is really tested. Make the decision today. Get over that hump. Let's put to death apathy. Let's be givers and not seeing what we can get. Let's have that mature spiritual mindset that can reason through the value of choosing mistreatment or suffering or hardship or sacrifice now for the glory of eternal life later. Be wholehearted. Not just in the desperate times, but even after the initial victory. Keep it going. Because apathy will take us out. And let's put into practice the sowing and reaping in a way that guarantees the future that God wants us all to experience. Let's keep this in mind as we take the yoke of Jesus as we choose our future together. Amen. Let's stand as we close in one final song.